And then when I went back in, I realized that I still had that thing in there that just made it say fart if you were holding a newspaper. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good bumper sticker. I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And it's time for episode number 224 of Video Games Hot Dog, a podcast about video games that we do here in San Francisco and Portland, respectively, respectively. Respectfully. Uh, no. Do you you like our listeners? I do, actually. Okay, me too. They have all been super nice. I get individual tweets from listeners when they're like, that joke that nobody else laughed at, I thought was really funny. (laughs) Oh, I was laughing in case that was one of them. Right. Uh, <laughs> I do feel bad sometimes when I see those tweets and I'm like, I don't remember Kevin saying that. I, I Sometimes I think, sometimes I'm afraid that I do this whole podcast and I don't listen to anything else that anybody else is saying. It's possible. What? Uh-huh. How was your week? My week? Your week. That was pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. Did you do anything exciting? Yeah. I've been working on this, like, prototype of a room escape puzzle mm. in case we decide to do a room escape at any point in case we've already decided to do a room escape yeah at any point um oh yeah our, our plan is to go into somebody else's room escape and embed a bunch of puzzles <laughs> yeah just put extra puzzles that we'll, we'll be like those merry pranksters when we did the idiot rod that set oh, up yeah. their own fake checkpoints to just humiliate and fuck with the, the other competitors uh so i i uh what i had been trying to do was basically make a chessboard that you solve the puzzle by having pieces on the chessboard in a specific configuration, and then something would happen. Hmm. What so I want like is for electronics or magnets or what? electronics. Yeah. Hmm. What I want is for like a key to drop out of a hidden area into a bowl on the table next to the chessboard. That is what I really want. I want you to, you know, put in this ghost's favorite chess puzzle on the board and then a key to magically appear, as far as you're concerned, in the bowl next to the chessboard. Interesting. Um, that's going to be tricky. The actual physical thing moving in the world thing is the tricky part. I, so, yeah, to have like it would be you'd want to drop from the ceiling or something and you want to make sure somehow that no one's head was in the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if there was just a hole in the wall that we put in the right place where the key could just drop down from the control room into a tube that would then go, go through the tube and go through the wall and land in the bowl. You could get one of those alien egg extruders and have the key come out through that. Oh yeah. Like a, like a sessile ovipositor. (laughs) Yeah. I should check that. I should see if there's one of those that you can hook up to an Arduino. They sell those. Yeah. No problem. You can get them on Etsy. So I, I think instead of a bowl, I think a cushion is probably yeah. a better bet. Well, and a bowl with a cushion. It could be a bowl of cushions. Or like it could a, be a bowl of that old-timey cushion candy. Or like a small cabinet that unlocks it or something. could be a jacuzzi full of syringes. That's true. <laughs> well, I think, I think the idea is, like, how cool would it be to yeah, have a key just cool. appear when nobody is looking at it or noticing? Yeah. The trick is going to be concealing the hole. But you need, I mean, it's just a hole. You, you know what distracts really well from a hole? An ovipositor. <laughs> yeah. I guess just a writhing, <laughs> dripping, like, if you touch it, it kind of burns you. Uh-huh. Ovipositor. Yeah. No, I think, I think there's, this has, this idea has legs. I, I had been trying <laughs> I for- really hope not. <laughs> Jesus. 
I'd had, I had like I remember talking to you guys last week before the podcast about the trouble that I was having building this thing, but it wasn't a very good story, so I forgot right. to tell it. <laughs> I didn't. I decided not to tell it on the podcast, but today I succeeded in actually building. Yeah, it a was exciting. Functional version of this thing. Um, like basically, there is a light that comes on when you put one particular chess piece on one particular square of like a real ass chessboard, nice. and yeah. that makes me pretty happy. Um, so I bought. I got an Arduino because I already have one in that kit that you got me for Christmas, but I didn't want to use that one because it's like attached to a breadboard as a part of setting that kit up. So I bought another one. I bought an RFID reader that was designed to hook up to a, to an Arduino and messed with it for hours with no luck at all. And like, I tried it with both of the Arduinos that I had. One of them, it would like pass the self test. One of them, it wouldn't. At no point did the, this, object is powered on LED that this particular RFID reader card may or may not have had, depending on... There were no instructions. The only thing that it came with was an RFID tag, like a little badge, like a little clip thing, like a plastic circle with a key ring on it, and an RFID card that just looks like a subway card or whatever, and I could not get it to do anything. I could not get it to react to either of those things. The only text inside the box was... On the sleeve of the RFID card, there were a bunch of Chinese letters. Wow. Um, I bought a different RFID reader, and its pins were labeled such that none of them matched the labels on any of the pins from the previous one, even though they were both the same model of RFID reader. So I just couldn't find a pinout for it, and I just had no idea what to do. And, and like, it is very, very difficult to look any of this stuff up on the internet because it's like looking up how to fix a problem with Linux. (laughs) It is mostly just people telling you that you should be using a Raspberry Pi instead of an Arduino or worked for me. I don't know what the fuck's wrong with you. Or have you tried reading this document that has the pinout clearly in it? I'm like, yes. Like, have you tried switching distros? Yeah. Have you tried recompiling the a lot kernel? Of, a lot of dogma. The, the library for the Arduino that runs this particular RFID reader chip was written by a guy who English is not his first language. And also, it's not particularly well documented. So you, you rely on just a handful of like nice guys in this community writing code for the Arduinos that you know you can sort of piece together how it works. It turns out that the first one was just faulty. The second one, I just didn't know how to hook up. I bought another one of the first one from a different manufacturer, but this was one that you had to solder the pins onto it. The third one? This is the third one that I bought. You had to solder the pins onto it yourself. Like it's just, it was just the circuit board. So I had to buy a soldering iron (laughs) and some solder. So a lot, like a lot of this was like mess with this for 15 minutes and then wait Amazon Prime (laughs) minutes for the next thing that I needed to show. Which is anywhere from. 60 to like yeah. 4,000. There were some things that said they were going to be delivered same day that just weren't delivered same day. It's, huh. it's, it's iffy. <clears throat> soldered, soldered the pins onto that myself. Got a nice, like, got, I got, I decided, you know what? I'm going to get a nice soldering iron. It's, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. It's time that I have one of those <laughs> soldering irons that has like a little stand and a little metal coil that you put the soldering iron in. What, what else is there? There's just like a soldering loose iron you just put on newspaper. Iron. Oh god, yeah. that seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. one that comes in a box of oily rags. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you just you have to hold this in your hand. It's combination <laughs> soldering iron and curling iron. Or like yeah. you have a glass of water nearby that you just dunk it in. <laughs> okay. 
you quench it every time you <laughs> so it gets stronger right so i got that working a few days ago but then there was no way to actually get it close to the chessboard because it was just stuck in a breadboard with oh, little right. short wires connecting it to the arduino so i had to buy new wires that were like <clears throat> female breadboard pin style things on one end to put on the pins of the RFID reader and male on the other end to put into the Arduino. And today I finally got all of the pieces and all of the time together to actually make it work. And lo my, and behold, my last plan was to, I was going to thumbtack the RFID reader to the chessboard, but the thumbtacks that I have wouldn't penetrate the wood of the chessboard. So what I just taped it. Blows my mind, honestly, is the precision with which. It is as though it was made to yeah, do this. Because it like you get the you get the piece on an adjacent square and it just doesn't ah, register. So that was gonna be my next question was yeah. can you it is, can you put more than one RFID chip in there and have it not read the wrong pieces? We well that we haven't figured out yet. Yeah, that so the thing that I did after I got this working was I ordered some more of those readers. So now I have to figure out how to hook up multiples of them like, to one yeah, Arduino. Parallel I'm, I am reassured by various forum posts that it is possible to do so because most of the pins on it are pins that it's okay for it to have in common with other readers. And I guess, you know, I'll just have to figure out how to write the code and that's fine. But once that works, once the hardware works, you can just write an arbitrary number of puzzles in code. Like it could be a thing where you have to put... Like this sequence of this king and this queen on this square a hundred times in the right <laughs> order, and that's a thing that it can do. Sure, like, it just won't, won't be able to leave the room until yeah, they you'll do never that. be able to get out of the room. <laughs> I'm really happy that this resolved, like because I just thought, ah, oh, this is a thing I could probably do, and that is the beginning of a large number of failure stories in my history, <laughs> and uh, it makes me happy that the thing actually worked. So I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of Arduino time lately it's cool right it is cool you saw it you were happy i was happy see i made kevin happy we have i feel like we have two two solid ideas for physical puzzles at this point we need we need more what's the other one the uh oh the, the mirror thing yeah yeah ah yeah. that's good there's that, that one that i uh, emailed you guys that's true oh that's like the meta meta yeah that was puzzle kind of idea. A, a set of a couple of linked things the RFID tech could be used Multiple for locations. any number of things, yeah. right? Like books in a particular configuration <clears> on a <throat> shelf, which I think is something that should should happen. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did a Google search for smallest possible RFID tag, and then I just bought five of the first thing that it showed me. So we'll see how that works. One feature of the first RFID reader that I bought is that it would read any RFID device... Any RFID tag other than the one that came with it in the package. They, they ship it with... They ship it with a anything but this. Yeah. So you, just That's so the you calibration know. tool. Yeah. What have you been up to, Kevin? Um, I not uh, Nothing important at all. I have, I have been failing to be a human being. I, I am trying... I, so I desperately need to upgrade... Uh, a number of things in my life uh my phone my operating system my version of unity your hairstyle uh sure oh wait did nobody say anything to you about that and uh and i've i had i developed this like long sequence of um dependency chains in my head about how what order this had to happen and then 
I have just been sort of working through that and it's been stupid and slow and dumb. And so I'm, I'm apologizing to everyone in my life. You're supposed to tell the story after you succeed. Yeah. Nah, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go buy a phone tomorrow. So what is that going to mean for you? Are you going to have to finally, are you, you're going to try to restore from a backup on a brand new phone, a like three year old phone operating system, two year old. Yeah. Do you think that's going to work? I'm going to ask them before I come out. Oh, they to will purchase. not answer that question. That oh, yeah, is, they will. Nah. I'll ask really? the genius bar. The genius bar folks will. Oh, okay. Know. Those guys know everything. They're geniuses. <laughs> exactly. It's right there in the name. When I uh, when I bought my new iPad, I it let me restore the previous iPads backup without much trouble, as far as I remember. Were they different system versions, operating system versions? I feel versions? like they must have been. So, I I am pretty sure I did this before because my I have not upgraded my OS on my phone and my prior phone is iOS five, so I already jumped two from that phone to this, and now I'm gonna jump two more from this phone to the next. Do you think that you could get an iPhone six S with the iPod one? <laughs> OS on it. I doubt it, but that'd be cool. An external click wheel that you plug into it. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the thing. You can't, I think, I don't think you can downgrade the OS, at least within, without having jailbroken stuff. Right. So like when I buy the phone, it will, it will be iOS nine and I can't go backwards from there. Yeah. So you're not, you're not loading the old system software. You're just loading all the apps and everything you had right. in the previous phone. Yeah. Oh wait, that's what I'm that's what I was asking though. Like you're not, gonna I'm, have to you have to update oh, to yeah, iOS yeah, yeah. nine. Okay. Well, I, that, but that's that's why there's all this complicated stuff. Like I'm like I'm like getting everything ready for the new versions of all the operating systems that I'm gonna have. Because I've also been resistant to update to iOS nine and I don't know why. I, yeah, I don't know. Because I don't think it will actually have any material effect on my life at all. It's just a thing I'm nervous about because I'm nervous about upgrades. They're at 9.1. I bet it'll break some of your games. But will I ever try to play those games? You might. It probably will break a bunch of games that are on my phone because my phone, I don't tend to delete games. And so there are hundreds of games on my phone from the last like seven or eight years. Right. So, yes, it probably will break some of them. But will I notice I think that is definitely not a. I would conclusion. like to know if you notice. Yeah, you'll get. There were definitely a handful. Fuck of it, apps. I'll do it right now. I'm connected to Wi-Fi. Oh, Never. you don't do this. <laughs> this is such a uh, man. You're not going to be able to like call an Uber later. You're gonna like. You're gonna be stuck here. At the yeah, office but all that stuff happens months. after the podcast. Yeah, so that's true. Really... So it's not real. The only the only change I've really noticed in iOS nine is the fact that the the keyboard actually switches from lower to uppercase letters when you hit shift. Oh, huh. So you can actually see so when... So you can actually tell, yeah. You know, Zach, what this means is that you have to actually play some games while you're on the podcast, so you can answer this question. I have to play every game on my phone. Well, just, just the work. ones that you would expect to play in the next, you know, week. Okay. Well, so what what would that be? Now I'm, I'd like... I've taken most of the games off the front page. I only have one page of apps on my phone, and just on principle. Uh, yeah, I don't like having. You use folders pages, though, right? Folder. I do use folders. Yeah, okay. I have lots of folders. Um, do you have folders within folders. I don't think that's a thing, is it? I don't think so. Yeah, that'd be cool if it was though. Be a lot easier. Someone might invent recursion. Yep. Yeah. What was that? What is that game? That's the like universe simulator. That's just sort of a weird 
sort of file system. Oh yeah, that was the um, thing. that was the thing that the Cookie Clicker guy made yeah. before Cookie Clicker. It was called Nested. Nested. Thing. Yeah, it was really cool. It is really cool. I spent I spent a few days working on a randomly generated sort of fantasy world version of that that we still have all of the infrastructure for, and I just never finished it. Huh. Um, that's cool. That's just it's something you have in your back pocket for some future for some project. room escape game that might need yeah. it for a room escape game. All right, guys, there's some sort of percentage bar going across on my phone. I can't believe this you're just the doing best this. Idea I can't I believe ever. No, had. this, this is, is great. We're uh, live. We're live blogging this. Uh, so you you don't you don't have is, you don't like back your phone up to like iTunes. I like, back it up to the cloud. God, yeah. See, I have to upgrade my version of iTunes, but before I do that, I want to make sure that like. So you have to wait until it rains before you can restore your backup. Exactly. Because <laughs> there has to be a certain uh, due percentage. Is that a is that music? That yeah, is, it's from the parkside next door. It is unlikely that, that the is, listeners can hear it. I can't. Oh, no. It is it is unlike music in many respects. Well, you're it's just hearing, sort of you're, you're hearing just an arrhythmic bass drum. Yeah. I... It's a if it's a bass drum, it's like the guy's rolling it. This is like a death metal band. It's entirely possible that it's a death metal band. Yeah, maybe. There were a bunch of people in like denim and leather outside of the bar downstairs when we went to dinner. So, what have you been up to, Riff? Uh, I went to a birthday party and we ate some cake and played some board games. Pin what the board ta- games? pin the tail on the board game. Uh, uh, yes, and uh, what what cake? I uh, oh, it was actually it was really good. It was like a green tea flavored cake. What? It it, it didn't look good because it was like <laughs> this sort of gray green. But yeah, that it sounds really gross. Good. It, no, it was good. You should post pictures of that. Oh, I you wish should I take had pictures, a picture. right? No, I, I, oh. I failed. I'm not a proper internetizen. Oh. I don't take photographs of my food. Um. I've forgotten what the name of the board game is that we played, but it was it was like a one of those small, not exactly pocket-sized boxes, but much smaller than the regular board game box size. It was like a 4X space game. Was, was it, it Tiny it, Epic Galaxies? Uh, no. Okay. Um, we played a very, we played a game that I would have described using exactly those same words is called that Tiny the Epic one, Galaxies. Does it have like you set up the system out of hex tiles? No. Okay. So that that will be the third one of these I have heard of then, because we okay. also played one with Hextiles uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, this one, um, I guess I, I'll describe what it looks like, just in case anybody listening has heard of it. It's it's played on uh, the car the cards that represent your your various actions and abilities, like mining or or refining ore into victory points or attacking things are also the cards that are the the galaxy map like face down and then when you when you explore a new area you take that card into your hand and then deal one out into the space so you're effectively deciding what the permanent uh, action for that sector of space is, and then whenever you move one of your non-combat transports into that space, you oh, immediately it get to... Uh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, that might, okay. that's yeah, this Carl yeah. yeah, it's a Carl Chudik game. It's the guy that made uh, Innovation. So, so you guys have played this? 
Yes. Did you also I bought, find I bought it, like a pre-order version of it. Did you find yeah, it a, completely incomprehensible? Yes, it is. It's I not that bad. I found I did not once, like it at all. I played it once it and I was out, like, ah, "You can have this." One, like, once we figured it out, it we it started to get pretty interesting. But it's it, on the box. It says thirty to sixty minutes, and it took us like three and a half hours to finish a game because wow. because the rule book is just incomprehensible. We, we have you played innovation? Work out what he was trying to say at every point. You were just designing the game yourself, Riff. Almost. <laughs> have you played Innovation, Riff? Uh, I believe I've played it once, but I don't really remember it. It it is not that hard to play once you know how it works, but it is an incredibly difficult game, both to teach and to learn how to play from reading the instructions. Right. Mm. Um, and that's that is a feature that some board games have that is frustrating. It is. It's really they need somebody to like make a really good like single sheet set of like basic instructions. Yeah, that's kind of well, I think some games are just inherently hard to learn. Like I I, I think yeah. in many cases you need to consider teachability while designing the game. Right. It so I remember reading this thing. Uh, it was a few months ago. Was, I want to say that it was like some old Bell Labs guy or something. And this was maybe it wasn't. I don't think it was like an article in the New Yorker, but it was that kind of thing. It was like maybe something from the Atlantic website or something, where it was like somebody talking about how the things that we have that experts use are not designed to be easy for novices to use. Right. And that's because they're designed to be effective for experts to use. Yep. And that is why, well, it's not, that is why anything, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that I agree with the, any fundamental premise about like Apple is worse than, you know, TRS 80 or whatever. But I think that was his point, right? That like Apple trying to make a computer easy for, for anyone person. to use just stepping up to it with no education or training results in like a less powerful experience for expert users. Except for the fact that all the expert functionality is there. It's just not clear. Well, that's the ideal case, right? Is where that functionality any, is there. Any right? design you're going to be making trade-offs. And if you are factoring ease of learning into the design, that's going to be at the expense of other advantages. There, I think some of it, though, was this guy's attitude that, like, everything worth doing is hard to learn how to do. Right? Well, if you... If you, if you, you invented a guitar... with that in mind, though. Like, if you invented a guitar not hard. that was trivial to learn how to play, like, virtuoso electric guitar solos on... Right. I would argue you've made the world way better. <laughs> so, this is actually something I've thought a lot about, specifically in the field of musical instruments. Um, there's a uh, device that... Um, it's called the Chaosolator... And it's a yellow touchpad, maybe four by four inches with a dial on it. And the idea is that no matter what you do with this thing, it's it always going to sound, sound awesome. cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's rad. Um, and usually what happens is that the X, the X axis on the pad, touchpad controls the pitch and you can use the dial to set the scale. Um, and the Y axis controls the timbre of the sound. And you can choose from a, a bunch of different 
But really, the box is in control of the horizontal and the vertical. <laughs> I mean, but really, the person who designed that box kind of made all the music that's being played with that box, is what I, I would it, argue. It feels very collaborative to me. Like, okay. when, when you... When you when you're playing this, it's not like rock band where like you're just following a pattern. You're actually choosing like you're not necessarily choosing the notes, but like what what that person did is the sound design. And that's a huge part of the kind of music that this thing makes. Like electronic music is probably half composition and half production. And that the, the box, the guy who made the box did all the production here. Um, but you are controlling... Um, the pacing of it, which is important. You're controlling like, like the broad strokes of the music. And it feels like you're doing, I, I do consider this thing to be more of a toy than a tool, but it is a very cool experience. Yeah. And I do think there's a lot to be said for like, like you, you look at a drum kit um, and there's a bunch of circles you can hit that sound good when you hit them. And then there's a bunch of places you can, hit that don't sound good at all and maybe you could use those in an avant-garde piece but 90% more than 90% like like four nines 99.99% of the time you don't want to hit those things including like empty space between them and I think a better arguably interface for a drum kit is just like where every every space around you makes an interesting sound or a useful sound uh, I think that like would be a, a better theremin? interface. What's up? Like a theremin, so you just move through space and interesting sounds happen. Uh, m- more like a every a surface. desk. Okay. Uh, because I feel like the bounce back is crucial for for playing drums. Um. But yeah, I like just in terms of now that you now that we've we've moved the conversation from games to um musical instruments. Yeah, I've thought a lot about like designing musical instruments and the trade-off between like power and ease of use it's super interesting to me i feel like pianos are so prevalent in both music education and sort of like households Mm -hmm. uh, because they are sort of a really good sweet spot in that equation right because they are it is trivial to like sit down in front of one and make noises Uh um and while there is some finesse to that, like it's, it's pretty apparent, like how that works. And then the power in it is like figuring out how to like play them in sequence and in combination. Yeah. But yeah. It is not trivial to make good sounding noise with a piano the way that it is to make good sounding noise with a harmonica. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure. And you could design, you, even in the physical space, you could design a piano that was tuned to a scale. I mean, harps work like that. Right, like harps don't have the full chromatic scale. They have, uh, sev- like seven uh, seven strings per octave, and then a series of switches to uh, set the scale. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you could just have a pedal that shut off all of the notes on a piano that weren't notes on a harmonica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you just <laughs> right. bang on the keyboard, and <laughs> yeah, it sounds you like just a do Bob whatever, and song. it would sound pretty good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and even the even the chromatic scale is itself a trade off. You could you could take it one step further, and you could just have a a thing where you tapped your foot, and it would just go one four five one, uh-huh, uh-huh. right? And so then whatever you played on the piano, I just I remember seeing like on the, when I was in an airplane, I was browsing SkyMall. There's a uh, device you can you can attach to your guitar 
that will um, that has like the most common chords you would want to play on a guitar. You can put play them all oh, with, just on a single button. You can fret them with a button. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, arguably, we don't want all of the musicians in the world using devices that make it easy for people who are, have no skills. <laughs> and do we want do we want there to not be a landscape of board games that can make money that are only for serious game players who are willing to spend a few hours beating their heads against them to learn them. But so many of those games are easier to learn when somebody sits down and shows you. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not a problem of complexity, it's a problem of explanation and because that well, that game could totally have if if the if the rule book had been written in a in and laid out and organized in a different fashion then it would not have been nearly as much of a problem well do you think the fashion that it needed to be laid out for you to get it well, is the same him, as like a group of four everybody. or six I mean, people or whatever right like it was yeah like it, my argument about innovation, and probably also this other Carl Chudik game, is that they're hard to teach. I think, yeah, I think it. I think you have to really be cogent in your approach to teaching them if you're not going to introduce unnecessary sort of complication and confusion. Race for the Galaxy is another one. I I think that Race for the Galaxy is an amazing game, but I'm never going to try to get anybody else to play it hmm. with me. I don't want to explain how it works. Like it took years for our friend Jacob to get play enough play. games with me pointing everything out to me where I finally was like, "Oh, okay, I understand this now and I want to play this a thousand times." <laughs> And so we play it all the time now when we're in the same city for like one afternoon a year. And then I I played a couple of games of it today. On your Because that's what I do at work instead of working. On your computer. On my computer. Uh, we played us we played several board games this week, actually. We uh you you opted out of Ricochet Robots. I did. Because nobody will play that game with me. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one that's God, I can picture it, but I can't explain it's super, super, super simple. It's yeah. like you know those puzzles in a grid video based. game where there's ice, and right, so you can move, right. but then you can't stop, right. and you're trying to That's figure out how is. to like get obstacles to stop you to get you to a certain spot on the edge of the ice. This is that, yeah, the the, the board game, the sort of procedurally generated board game because you make the board out of different sections, yeah. and yeah. Oh, does does that mean? There's, is there some way for it to be a provably solvable puzzle? Well, so what you do is you... Everybody has, like, a situation. You're trying to get the robot to this one spot. Yeah. And you say... Well, you're trying to get... Yeah, you're trying to get a particular robot to a particular yeah. spot. I can get it there in 14 moves. Yeah, so mm. nobody touches the board. Everybody's looking at the board. You, you in your head, are, like, trying to figure out the shortest route for this robot to get there. And you can move all the robots. Each move counts as one move. And... Then you bid. You're like, I can get him there in 14. And then you flip over a one minute sand timer and anybody has a chance to underbid you or, or place a bid. Cause like if you, if it comes to be your turn and you can't actually get the robot there, then the next highest bid can try there. There isn't like you're not a robot. Right. It, it is a game for an arbitrary number of players. It's one there to infinity players. Four robots on the board and then a bunch of different like target squares. Yep. And then you just flip one over at random to see where they're supposed to be going. 
it's basically just a little algorithm puzzle uh, in, in 2D space. And it's great. It's it's super fun. And you can... Except that you are a little bit better at it than everybody else, which means that you win every single round all the time, always. Yeah, okay. That That is really dissatisfying <laughs> to play with, Finn. Yeah. So what should happen it's- is somebody else should... I should just keep my eyes closed... Somebody else should bid, and then I have one minute to try to beat them. And or if we I- could just not play this game with you. I mean, that's the. <laughs> have you considered like getting set- super baked, or or like <laughs> setting a timer so you could only look at the board like for three seconds every ten seconds? Okay. Or yeah, just handicap Kevin's. Every time he wins, he has to pound a beer, <laughs> and eventually it'll sort itself out. We played another game of Splendor. We played a couple games of Splendor. Yeah. So this was new to me because I had not, I did not play it uh, at our convention. I think I talked about it on a podcast and sort yeah. of described how it worked. So it is, it is really it satisfying. Yeah, to play. it's very simple but very good. Uh, we played a, a little a game called Tiny Epic Galaxies, which is a little four X game that fits in a tiny box. So yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about when you were talking about Impulse. Uh, and that one is also a lot of fun. It it's is. Like it's every light, every character has their own little. It's way more lightweight yeah. than than Impulse. Um, I'm kind of curious. I want to see. I will probably buy a copy of that, and then I will oh, okay. probably also buy the other game that those people made. They, I think, they have a bunch of games that have epic or tiny epic in the name. I think so as well. Um, and then we played a game called Room Twenty Five, which oh, I had yeah. bought last year, but then just never opened and never played. Um, it's a board game that is thematically it's like a, a cooperative or show. a hidden roles secretly competitive like. You're a bunch of people. Zach, your phone's oh, hello. My phone is saying hello to me. In a bunch of different languages? <laughs> hello, phone. My phone was updated successfully. I'm going to... Why not enable location services? That seems like a thing I want to enable. A passcode? No, thanks. I don't like security. So I can't enable... Don't add passcode. All right. Passcode options. Don't add passcode. Don't want to continue or add passcode. I want to continue. Nice. I have to put in my password. I'm not going to shout that out Wait, loud. Wait, it just asked if you wanted a passcode. No, I have to put in my iTunes password. Oh, I see. Mm. It's updating my iCloud settings, guys. I think I think people can uh, reverse engineer your iTunes password now based on the duration of the the delay. So you should you should edit that to be slightly longer or shorter than. <laughs> Do I want to upgrade to iCloud Drive or turn off iCloud Drive? Those do not actually seem like the correct mutex. Are you sure you don't want to upgrade? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> D- uh, do I want to? I'll send diagnostics to Apple. I don't care. I'll send dick pics to Apple. <laughs> Steve Jobs can have whatever he wants. Yes, I will share app analytics with app developers. Why not? I know some app developers. They seem pretty on the ball. They probably want some analytics. Get started. Oh, man. Find friends. It added a new app to my desktop that says Find Friends. You finally got Find Friends? I have Find Friends. No, wait, no, that's. I thought that's Find Friends. This explains why I don't have any friends. Because you don't don't have have an an iPhone. Right, I don't have an iPhone to run the Find Friends app on. Uh, It did not make it so anybody liked my Instagram pizza photo. Uh, so I'm giving this upgrade a big thumbs down. Okay. <laughs> anyway, my phone seems fine. 
See, was that so fucking hard, Kevin? Well, have you tried using any of your apps? Uh, yes, I just ran Instagram, and it uh, was as disappointing as it always is that no one likes my pizza photos. Okay. Twitterific? What's a game that you sometimes run on your phone? Uh, this Star Realms game. D- d- did it break? It did not. All right. Look at it. It's running. 100% it's running of games and it's working. that Zach cares 100% about. 100% of games that I care about are running. Can I play Monkey Wrench? I bet I can. I can. It works. Have you guys played any... Have you guys played any video games i have been playing some monkey wrench are, are we are we skipping the listeners now? shit shamu says hey jim <laughs> since you were talking about zelda one recently i wanted to ask if you knew anything about zelda classic if you do awesome what are some of your favorite quests if you don't it's a game creation tool that can make zelda one like games with overworlds and dungeons but has enough scripting utility to make much more advanced quests up to and including making your own items i'm gonna talk when we talk about the video games about zelda randomizer um but I have not actually looked into Zelda Classic much. It does look kind of cool. Um, I downloaded it in one uh, quest that somebody had recommended to us. I think just somebody tweeted at us mm-hmm. about it. Um, and it seemed like, well, this is just a really hard Legend of Zelda quest. Yeah, I. that's kind of what, one of the things I'm expecting from it. But uh, looking at... I, I have... Um, I've seen videos of people playing Zelda Classic, and I wish it were more classic. Like, it really looks like it was trying to be uh, Link to the Past more than um, the first Zelda game. Like, even even when you're playing, like, the original Zelda Quest, you still have the sword that swipes instead of a sword that stabs, mm. and you still have um, a diagonal movement... Um, it, it, it seemed like it was, uh, taking the, uh, the Zelda assets, the Zelda one assets and putting them in the Zelda three engine. Uh-huh. Um, but it is the sort of thing I'm, pro- I'm probably going to check it out at some point. Um, but in the meantime, I'm kind of enjoying Zelda randomizer. I feel like there's one move that Zelda quest creators always do right off the bat, which is don't give you the sword like uh-huh. make it so you have to look around a lot for the sword to start with and that is always a thing that where was, i'm just like that was like the God defining i mean that was the defining part experience of zelda randomizer for well i'm going to talk about this later but yeah but that's an option you can put the sword in the first cave if you want yeah in the second quest of the legend of zelda is the sword in that opening cave yeah yeah, it is. It is, right? Yeah. Like, they didn't fuck with that. That's the same. Like, you can just go off into the world without the sword, yeah. but look at that fucking cave right there. Like, uh-huh. you know you want to go there. Like, that is <laughs> well, it depends clearly the most inviting thing on the screen. If you've played the game to death, you don't want to go there. You want to go off into the world. Right, yeah, you want to try to beat the game using just the candle or whatever. <laughs> right. <but> like, <laughs> just your mind. Scott Neal writes... On your Fallout 4 Charisma discussion, I understand the benefit of meaningful choice in creating characters in RPGs, but when charisma is used to gate the player out of content, I find it artificial and dissatisfying. In Fallout 4, having a higher yeah, perception... Like in real life, too. <laughs> it, man. Jim, I just want to say... That was a downer. You're, you're, you are a good-looking guy. Uh, okay, I, I, and I am not... <laughs> you gotta get over... No, 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 no. Okay, I want to make this clear. I think I look fine. Okay. 
uh, as a teenager, I like, and this is not like me just having been down on myself. I've seen photos. Okay. As a teenager, I did not look fine. Okay. Well, <laughs> no, you're right. That was a, that was a downer. It was a very uncharismatic thing for me to say. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a also serious tr- also podcast. true. <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I find it artificial and dissatisfying. He says, in Fallout 4, having a higher perception makes vats better, but doesn't affect the wobbliness of your cursor when you're aiming normally. Player skill is important regardless of stats. In the same way, I prefer when charisma gives gameplay benefits, such as more slash better followers and cheaper items at shops, but dialogue choices are left to the player. The reason that I wanted to read this is because I found it... I thought about a lot why... And this makes a ton of sense to me, but why? Why does getting locked out of dialogue choices feel so feel like losing content, but getting locked out of like fights that you can't win because your combat skills not high enough not feel like getting locked out of content? Hmm. Like, what is it about the? Can't you always authored go dialogue before trees? you get to the fights if you want to beat those fights? You could also do that before the conversations, could right? You? Unless there are conversations that can only happen once. But like in a game with saves and loads, anything can happen multiple times. My intuition for that is just that the the combat is slightly more systemic so that you can overcome Yeah. Um using player skill, you can overcome a, a lack of, of in game combat skill. So it doesn't feel bad to miss out on dialogue options in like Morrowind where all of the dialogue is programmatic. Oh, I didn't, I didn't get that far in Morrowind. Is there like a, you talk to anybody. It's just every NPC just has a menu of everything that you, the player know about and something that they will say about it. Yeah. But that was just a joke really. Okay. I mean, you're not going to see this this is the thing that I like I've finally managed to make peace with. You're not going to see all the branches. That's just not how it works. That's also not how the real world works. You don't well, get to both how... take that job and not take that job <laughs> and see what happens in both cases. But <laughs> right. I feel like a lot of people, most people would read a choose your own adventure with their fingers in all the pages. Right? Because they would explore a branch and then if it ended, they would just immediately go back. And if it went a little deeper, they would like sort of keep track of a while. And then if, if it kept going, then maybe they start losing track of where they'd been. But I mean, I think your approach to dialogue trees in video games is different than most people's. Like you, you're, you will keep reloading until you have exhaustively. If it's a, if it's an option explored a thing, but even then, like, so uh, alpha protocol there, there were all kinds of branches that I never saw because they were locked off. Like you had to make choices and then they had far I mean, a lot reaching. of them were locked off until subsequent playthroughs. Yeah. That's because there true. were classes that you couldn't unlock yeah. until you'd played it once. And I felt like that encourages you to just pick something and just go to just be to role play. Yeah. Right. To like, I want to see what this, I want to see how this world treats somebody who acts the way that I do. Mm-hmm. Right. I, it, it really just seems like I, and when, you know, when I, Maybe I will talk about one of my Fallout 4 experiences now. Riff, you did the the Secret of Cabot House yes. quest, like, yesterday, <laughs> same <Yeah. laughs> as me. I 
How do you how do you know that just based on screenshots? I saw a screenshot of a pool table and I was like, that pool table looks like it's in pretty good shape. And the only pool table that I've ever seen that was in good shape and had all the balls on yeah. it is I, the one in that Cabot House. Is the only place I have found a one ball. I, yeah, <laughs> I think I think the one ball is explicitly rare just to fuck with me. Were <laughs> <laughs> you trying to collect the whole set? Yeah, yeah. Can you build a pool table in the workshop? Uh, I ha- I haven't been able to yet. No, there are magazines apparently that unlock new yeah, things that you can build. That's in, what right? I'm hoping. <laughs> so you're given you're given a choice at the end of this quest line that I had. I mean, and I guess this is the hallmark of a good moral choice in a game is like, fuck, I don't know what to do mm-hmm. here. But what you do when you don't know what to do is you try both of them and see yep. how it works. You push a quick you, save and you try one yeah. and you go, ooh, I'm yeah, going no. to reload. <laughs> I, You know what sucks, though, is that Nick doesn't like either of the yeah, that outcomes was to that quest. See, I was going to say that Nick is the companion that Riff likes and that uh, I like. That's that's one of the interesting things about this that that adds a new dimension to wanting to see all the conversational options is that you're all all the guys that you may or may not be traveling around with have an opinion about the the different options you might select. So if you're trying to curry favor with Nick, you have to pick totally different options than you might if you're trying to curry favor with Kate. Huh. Nick also... Do they ever both listen to the same conversation? No. You only no, have one of them You only ever have one of them at a time. But you, I, do have I think to, that, you do have to keep track of, oh wait, I, I should not be greedy because I, I don't have Kate here with me. <laughs> that is definitely a... Wait, who's Kate? Is she the she's person the, that you rescue in the main quest line? Uh, you don't rescue she, her? She's like the redhead Irish pit fighter. Oh, huh. I guess I didn't meet her. You might not have met her yet. She's not a robot? No. Okay. <laughs> um, Nick is the one that I went with because he likes the thing that I want to do, which is just to always sort of be honorable and nice mm-hmm. to people. Like, hit down basically every time. Um, except for the occasional up to get more information. That's kind of how Alpha Protocol worked, too, right? Like, there were certain handlers that liked you yes. being the smartass and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, And there was that one that liked you the whole time until you didn't understand that the guys at this one place were U.S. Marines. And right. so then you kill them and then you just ruin your reputation with her and you end up with the Stephen Heck ending. I, I actually went and, and I, I bought the the big fancy hardcover player's guide uh, just, to, just Fallout to Fallout 4, 4 just because I like a big fan. And I had the ones from the other two games anyway. And I looked up what speech patterns nick likes he likes it if you're nice or if you're mean he doesn't like it if you're peaceful or if you're violent what huh yeah (laughs) so are do do nice mean peaceful violent correspond to I don't. Is it, yeah, know. is that like the Myers Briggs quadrants? I, I, sure. I don't think every conversational branch has all four. In fact, that's almost certainly not the case. So you you kind of have to. Well, you either have to to judge based on the one word you've been given, or you have to be playing on PC and install that mod somebody just came out with that gives you the entire line of dialogue for each option. Oh, huh. 
I kind of want that. Does that, that your what you say? Yeah. yeah. And right now you just get like the first couple of words. Yeah, you, it's like it's either, like either, Alpha Protocol. Yeah, you get you, you get, get like, like a, a sort of indicator. Or, yeah. And that you know, I'm guessing that it wasn't one guy that wrote all of those hmm. correspondences between the one word that shows up in the menu and the thing that you actually say. And so I wonder if conver- like if your ability to figure out what's going to happen in conversations is largely dependent on learning all of the different writers styles for uh, what mm, those summaries right. mean uh it down the the pressing down option tends to just be like a straightforward agreeable hmm. left is usually like sort of intimidating or being yeah, a dick that's where they put sarcastic a lot of the time up is usually asking for more information and right is refusing hmm Right of refusal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, I'm still not sure what the right thing to do at the end of that Cabot house. Can you leave it in an ambiguous state? Oh, or I don't do know. I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I think you're locked so. in the room. You're locked yeah. in the room oh, yeah. until you make That's the true. final choice. Yeah. And, do you think it has long term implications? As though, it's presented as though you have a very limited amount of time to choose. I don't know if it's actually true or not, though. Yeah, I don't think that you do. I, have I you was guys- really. Have you guys gotten to MIT yet? I just got there. I oh, wandered around the rotunda. I have. I haven't. Uh, if there's more to see, I I was not able to find a way to get into it. It's very compressed. Like the oh. the courtyard is basically surrounded by a single building that has a rotunda, like a U shaped, a horseshoe shaped building that has the rotunda on the main part of it. I haven't gone inside to see if there is an, the infinite hallway. I looked, as soon as I came up to it, I'm like, all right, here's the main building. And I was looking for a door on the left side. Right. But there wasn't one. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I thought about, I think you had already left by the time I got there today. But I'll, I'll, I'll show it to you. We can, I'm curious. At some point, we can, you can tell me where things ought to be. It's CIT, by the way. It's the Commonwealth yeah. Institute of Technology. Okay. Putting universities in games feels like a very text adventure kind of a thing to do like the lurking, lurking horror, horror. Like, <laughs> like that yeah. which also had mit in it yeah or like every like all the early homebrew games were set in universities because what was that i said that would be pretty good if there was a if there's a lurking horror reference in there somewhere that would be cool i i wouldn't be surprised if there's something yeah um Oh, but also like a lot of the early homebrew text adventures were set in universities because mm, yeah, they were made by really university made. students who were like the, the the make setting a game in your own house is a really common thing to do if you can't think of any other setting. Josh made a text adventure that took place in Prescott High School hmm. using one of those early text adventure creation kits. Right. I forget. My uncle who works at Nintendo. <laughs> right. right. Where whereabouts scary um, home life. I, I don't want to know like specifically where, but I, I need a general indication of where to look for the cheers bar. Oh, it It's at the base of Beacon Hill. It's on the way to Diamond City. There's like a courtyard with like a fountain in it. Okay. And it's on that I like I think I think that's Kendall Square. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. They've really shuffled. Around they the really have. I, I like. There's nothing. I mean, I don't know a lot about the like. It does not like MIT is on the river, okay. so that's correct, right? 
And I, I guess it's on the Cambridge side of the river, but I don't really know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, how much of this is like based on reality and how much of it is based on some sort of weird alternate? Well, it diverges from our reality in the fifties, right? Like that's the, okay. That's the premise of fallout is that the sort of promise of the atomic age was actually delivered on in the fifties. And then the world ended in 2077. Okay. I mean, the world didn't really end, you know, but everybody, it's just that war never changed. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, it's, you know, it's similar, like you're in the United States, right? I mean, yeah. Right. Somebody was saying that, that like DC and Vegas were more satisfying than Boston because, it just doesn't feel as nice. I mean, they had a lot of recognizable landmarks. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't I, agree with that at all. I mean, I don't either. I mean, because I don't, I didn't think that anything in New Vegas r- was really evocative of. Yeah, and plus, like, just v- desert isn't l- fun to explore the way yeah, Las Vegas city is. in New Vegas felt like six big buildings. You know, right. that were that had like a random gate between them because there were too many quads to render in one right. <laughs> like region. And the problem but, with DC was that although I mean it was cool city exploration, it was broken up into such discrete chunks that you had to find your way between by going into the into the metro tunnels. And, and that, in that, Boston, I remember that being really off putting the first time. Yeah, in Boston, it's just there's yeah there's no there's no getting between anything yeah there's not there's just a lot fewer walls in between you and your map objective like yeah. you can usually just walk straight towards yeah, something well, and get there which is really the distance, nice you can just go yeah there. i wonder i wonder how much of that is uh just making a game for the new console lets you keep more in ram at once yeah no i'm well, sure and better I'm sure like streaming assets in and out yeah 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 like I, the the reason i couldn't play i mean well it, it might have turned out that um there was another requirement as well but the first requirement i looked at for my laptop was that oh it needs twice as much ram as i have right so i i wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if they just yeah we need to keep a lot more geometry and memory than uh the previous fallout games had it found me wanting it it ran the check and told me that i had to run it at medium detail <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing and it the load times are kind of long that's too bad yeah but you know it's fine i mean, I should have installed it on the ssd instead of the spindle drive on my computer and i might redo that but and that is a significant difference usually yeah hmm. it is i've noticed it the most in like world of warcraft and and star wars the old republic like textures loading in way faster when you like run up on a city full of people and suddenly it has to load all their armor in or whatever right. this isn't the same comparison but i remember running rage on uh, on disc on the 360 and it was one of the, like just it was just a blur fest all the time you would sit there for like probably 10 seconds waiting for all the textures to come in and then if you turn around now it needs to load the textures from that perspective yeah. um rage i remember getting a lot of criticisms uh, specifically about texture pop in being yeah. a huge big deal but when i as soon as i installed it to my memory card which is just a 16 gigabyte USB stick. Uh, it, it the experience it was it was night and day. It was huge um, to the point to the extent that like I was surprised that they even let you run it from the disc. Hmm. 
that game really kind of felt like just a more shootery version of Fallout. And I I don't think the writing was as or the world oh, design was as good. No, certainly not. But it it felt like that. And like I did not think that it was a game that I would give a shit about at all. And then when I played it, I actually kind of liked it. And sure. I don't remember why I stopped. Rage? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was okay. I, I remember it. I remember feeling like it was really well made, but not really to any interesting end. Like, I, I remember when you're talking to people, they are really well animated. Um, like the, they would just emote very distinctly facial expressions and hand movements and, and the, the acting was pretty good and the writing was kind of meh. Like, who gives a shit about this story? Um, and I, I kind of felt that way about the whole thing where like this, this is a really polished experience that I don't really care about. Um, and I don't know. It, it, it felt a, a little bit like it was id software, like finally coming up on the era where they can't compete just by having an awesome engine mm. where like now we're uh at the point where you have to deliver on a um and you know what that's not really fair cuz i think that doom doom, doom 3 kind of yeah but 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 also like i thought quake's game design was actually really solid um and if if we're talking about that like the fall off happened with quake 2 which i thought was not very like like quake 2 and quake 3 had good multiplayer but not really a very interesting single player experience. And then if you're, if I'm uh, thinking Unreal about real kind of ate their lunch in terms of single player experience. Yeah, at, I never played at that the one. Time. Quake. Oh, I mean, good. it started real strong at least. Like yeah. I only ever played yeah. the first level. Was or it, two, but. was it good mechanically or was it good in terms of uh, experientially? Like experientially, just okay, like exploring yeah. a cool space and things. Yeah. Cool weapons but, too though. The, yeah. Yeah. The, and I, I the think the gun and, that split in half. Yeah. <laughs> I think Doom Three was the first game that it made where they were trying to do what Valve did with Half Life, and <coughs> they didn't really have the storytelling chops for it. Um, I kind of want to see the version of Doom One that Tom Hall designed. Yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, and if if Tom Hall, although was, I think like, that I would love to see if. Tom Hall's version of Doom 3, too, actually. Yeah. That might have been really interesting. I think that I worry that Tom Hall's version of Doom 1 was actually that game that we played that was in the Doom engine. Strife? Strife. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Which was, like, had a lot of promise, but did not hold up. Yeah. It was interesting, though. It was cool that that was even possible. Yeah. There's definitely something to promising things and through no fault of your own, never being able to deliver them. Yeah. Like that, that, that's a great way to have a longstanding good reputation. Boy, this music. Yeah. It's yeah. Have you heard of, uh, Hang on a second while I look up the name of this. Game. Like, if I die before I ever finish Frog Fractions 2, holy shit. Yeah, you'd get canonized. Yeah. Like, they'd fire your corpse out of a cannon like yeah. R.S. Thompson. Yeah, that would be amazing. I would... 
Do you think he made a joke about being canonized? <laughs> I don't know. I can't tell if that's above him and below him, I meant. <laughs> What's the difference? He liked guns a lot, so maybe that was just where it came from. Yeah, his daddy could be anywhere now. I had forgotten about that line from uh, The Dark Crystal. It's a really evocative line. He, The the main character shows up at, at uh, Agra's house and says something about the Elder having sent him. And Agra says, the Elder, is he here? And Jen says, no, he's dead. And Agra says, huh, could be anywhere then. <laughs> oh, that's like, really uh, good, yeah, right? Yeah. It's such a good line. Yeah. That's really good. Uh, have you seen, have you played or heard of Realms of the Haunting? I've heard of it. Game? I feel like I've seen magazine ads for it. Yeah, it's as a kid. <laughs> super great friend has just recently started let's playing it and it's super weird but also super interesting. It's like a combination of like old first person shooter but with like adventure puzzle elements like cuz you've got like your keyboard controls for first person shooter but the mouse also works as a pointer to click on things so that the character can tell you about them or pick them up and so on so it's got like point and click puzzles and FPS and a full motion video with like live actors doing doing the cutscenes that's something that I think Doom 3 did really well interface wise is that you would use in-game interfaces using the same reticle that you would shoot with. Mm. Yeah, the like diegetic computer screens. Yeah, and Fallout I, I was, 4 does that. Oh, good. Like it's I, it zooms you in like and it's to the point where different kinds of screens are presented to you at different levels of zoom because yeah. it puts you at different spots relative to them. Like and, a thing on the wall that you're standing next to will just be a different distance from your face. And diegetically, they, they justify with this like a Fresnel lens <laughs> or something. They Also, you can just like move the Pip-Boy around. Like you can move your wrist around with the Pip-Boy on it while you're looking at the Pip-Boy. And I don't know why you would, <laughs> but still pauses time. It's, so it's cool. not like... It, yeah, it's so something that I noticed today, I was being shot at and I went to interact with the terminal and in the middle of the animation of sitting down at the terminal, I got hit and it canceled out of the animation of sitting down at the terminal. So I had to keep hitting use on the terminal until I sat at it without getting a bullet in the face. And then it let me use the terminal, which let me shut off the turret. That was the thing that was fucking shooting me. So it was like, boy, this guy is persistent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It reminds me of, like, building a fort of boxes around myself in Deus Ex so no one would see me hack a terminal. <laughs> oh, wow. You're, like, you're in a, you're in a police station. Yeah. And, yeah. That's clever. Like, they're just putting a spittoon on somebody's head in Skyrim <laughs> right, yeah. so that they can't see you steal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Or when I finally mm. realized that you can uh, you can steal stuff in... in these fallout games when people are standing around looking at you by not actually picking it up but doing the move that lets you hover it in the air and then just walk with it around the corner to where they're not looking <laughs> and then pick it up yeah, yeah. good man he's just looking at it that's okay wow if you are you're totally exploiting the systems <laughs> i have not actually done that yet i haven't needed to do that yet in fallout 4 We'll see. I mean, it's like in Spelunky how you can pick up an item in a store 
and the shopkeeper gets kind of suspicious, <laughs> but doesn't aggro on you, I guess, until you leave with it. Yeah. Right. And then apparently the penalty for shoplifting is just execution. Anyway, but that's why. Uh, it takes after the shopkeepers in NetHack, who are just the biggest assholes ever. I don't know why. What I constantly do when I'm playing Spelunky is I buy a shotgun on the black market and then use it to rob the black market. I mean, I do know why. It's because I want to leave and position myself to kill all of the shopkeepers and not just the one that's in the shop that happened to be selling the shotgun. But you can just kill them all with one shot. Well, no, but you can you can get to where you. <laughs> No, I like. I actually want to see like your your black market robbing tutorial now. Well, it's not. I often lose the daily at the black market. <laughs> okay, so fair it's enough. Not, it's not super great. I mean, also, I feel like experienced players don't buy a shotgun at the black market. That's like another thirty yeah. k score that you could have. That's something that like I I feel like the thing that held me back from spelunky greatness was that it was so hard to rob a shop that I never did. But the people who got really good at that game just would always try to rob the shop every time, so they just got good at that. Yeah. I mean, you just have to rob the black market. Like, you just have to if you're gonna win, right? The game. I mean, I've 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 got you know I've got the basic ending right. with with uh legitimately paying for the onk, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like the the really good like the the speedrunners especially. Um, in and out. Yeah, you know what else I played some of uh, this week was Hearthstone. The new Hearthstone adventure thing came out, and it's it's more of the same, and it's good, and there's some cool cards in it, and there were a couple class challenges which are always a delight. By adventure, do you mean like it's got like a campaign narrative, a single, single, a player. single player campaign narrative? Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's like three fights per week for five weeks or whatever. There's some people real pissed on the forums that Blizzard employees are taking Thanksgiving off because <laughs> these things are coming out every Thursday, but they're skipping Thanksgiving. So it's going to be two weeks between two oh weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. I can't put it out Wednesday that week. No. Um, the third fight of this wing, and I think from looking at this before, there are more that are like this, was really interesting because you weren't fighting against a purse, like a, like a character. You were just escaping from the temple and huh. so that that opponent like didn't have a deck. It just had a hero power that would create threats in a sequence that you had to deal with. And then after every turn, there was like the sort of Indiana Jones analog would pop in and point at something like, oh, hey, check it out. We should see what's good down this tunnel. And then you would get a choice between two things to do. And the one that I remember was like, take three damage or take either five or no damage. <laughs> um, so there were just a bunch of a bunch of choice, like, and there were some that were just like, you know, which enemy do you want to do you want to face three small guys or one big guy, like uh, that kind of thing. There, there were just like, you get a choice of wow something great. to do, and I, I kind of want to go back and play it with my other decks. Like you take your own decks into it. Um, you know, I'm curious about the heroic mode on that. It's, um, also, last week's Tavern Brawl mm, yeah. was interesting. It created a co-op mode using the sort of existing Hearthstone mechanics by it had a guy with a shitload of life, just a minion with a shitload of life that was both your and your opponent's 
target. And it had taunt, so you could never attack turn, anything else. It was a taunt minion that was on your opponent's side of the board, and on your opponent's turn, it would come back to your side of the board. I don't know what happened if they played somebody with taunt. If you could attack their taunt minion instead of this guy, that's the one thing that would have... You know, it was pretty easy to troll stuff. Like, one player was always a priest, and one player was always a paladin, and they were set decks. And there were just a lot of things that were like, normally this card is cheap because it provides some boon to your opponent, but those were actually a benefit in this mode. And the paladin just had all these buffs, and I just heard in our forums, for instance, about people saying that the paladin player would often just troll the opponent by putting all the buffs on the bad guy right. character because it's just one of your minions so you can just cast spells on it or it's just a minion so you can cast spells on it it's not one of yours but oh uh, it was a clever yeah so if if it kills either of yeah, you if, if either of you dies you both lose yeah um and it, it was i would have been interested to see that challenge with you being able to make your own deck but I mean, they must have tried that, and it wasn't fun, right? So they just built some decks for it. But and this was also the first time they had done it, yeah. so I feel like maybe, maybe they yeah, maybe to they'll bring it back with a build their own deck. Yeah, a little bit. Have, have you played any video games, Kevin? Uh, so I played the the Monkey Wrench game, which is the the new game by the folks that made uh, Red Herring, and it is it's just a word game. You might have already talked about it a little bit. I don't think we really did. I think we mentioned it and then didn't say anything about it. It so is a hex grid of letters, uh, and they have. I always play on the hard mode, which I feel like they shouldn't give you the categories. I feel like that's a poor yeah. choice. I feel like they should just give you the grid of letters and you just good luck. Agreed. <laughs> and you, but whatever. Um, is, is that analogous to like in 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 red herring on hard mode? They don't give you the categories. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but this is so just a grid of letters, and you're just traversing little paths to to spell out words or short phrases and it's surprisingly compelling like like just trying to find like you can see a lot of words in a grid of letters and sometimes they're real sometimes they're not um i had one puzzle where one of the answers was george and one of the answers was like george harrison or something like that and i kept (laughs) trying to put in george and it was like you're using the wrong letters and i'm like I don't understand, but that's because there was a George elsewhere on the board, and it. Yeah, I think it's using the same data set as Red Herring, uh, maybe, and that it's messy. It is messy, and also there's a lot of esoteric knowledge that. Yeah, I feel like those two things are also complaints you can make about Red Herring. Oh yeah, yeah. There are a couple Red Herring puzzles, which is a game where you're trying to guess the sort of similarities between a series of words or short phrases and they also throw in some things that are just meant to deliberately be misleading right and that every now and then i'll get one that i just i have no foothold and trying to figure out with 16 random words what you're supposed to be looking for is just brutal does monkey wrench cost money i believe it is free and then they have like you get 50 free puzzles and the daily puzzle and then you have to pay for ad- additional puzzle packs the daily puzzle is the only thing i'm interested in i i did the first free puzzle pack yeah it's 50 puzzles but it doesn't it, it goes real fast you're right though i do wish that because like on easy i don't even know what the difference between easy and medium is it, on I easy didn't... it just tells you what all the 
phrases that you're looking for. Oh, God, that's, that's just a word search. <laughs> yeah. That's terrible. It's, I mean, a slightly more complicated word search. But then I don't know what medium is. I assumed that medium would be like it tells you the categories, but not what the words are. And then on hard, it just doesn't tell you anything. It, but on hard, it, could, it tells it you the categories the, like, and the lengths of all the, the lengths, phrases. The, the phrases. That could, like, hard could just be that without the categories. Maybe it's broken. Maybe they're, maybe they're not supposed to give you the yeah. categories. Maybe the intended, uh, use for easy is you can just highlight anything and it gives you credit. Okay. <laughs> Everyone is a winner. Jim? I played Zelda Randomizer, uh, which is a, um, a tool that you can use to patch your Legend of Zelda ROM to, um, you can, to alter it in many different ways. Um, it will, uh, the, the main feature is to take all the overworld caves and scramble them. So you can, um, you run around and everything's still hidden in this, or rather, there are still secrets in every place, still entrances in every place there used to be in the overworld. So you can reuse your childhood memories of which tombstone to push. Or- right. Because those are kind of, frankly, like kind of bullshit nowadays. <laughs> So if they actually scrambled the, the the secret locations, it probably wouldn't be very fun. Um, and but none of the hints would work, right? What well, few hints there were. That's something that I was really impressed by is that um, they actually rewrote a bunch. They wrote a bunch of hints. Oh, really? Um, that apply to the new locations of new items. Huh. Like it will tell you, like uh, it. Frankly, the hints are a lot more helpful than they used to be. Like it'll <laughs> tell you, like Aquamentus awaits near the coast. If it placed dungeon number one near the the coastline, that sort of thing, um, uh, and you can scramble the locate like what monsters are in what rooms, and you can it'll even let you go so far as to like scramble the sprites without changing their behaviors, which just sounds like uh-huh. not very fun at all. Um, like just the enemies, or like the the items you pick up. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Doing the enemies would be at least interesting because for a while your the cognitive dissonance would cause all kinds of problems. Right, right, right. Yeah. But with the um, items you pick up, that's just just going to feel wrong, I think. Right. W- once you go into the dungeons, it gets a little bit more interesting because um, it doesn't change the dungeon layouts, but it does change the way the rooms connect. So dungeon one is still shaped like the eagle. Um, but the north door doesn't necessarily connect to the south door of the room above it oh no well, the it, doors aren't in the same place the doors aren't necessarily like the the rooms will it'll be different rooms in the in 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 the new place rather they put different they scramble the rooms and i think they keep the doors no no they have to have new doors i think they scramble the rooms and then they just design up it designs a path through the dungeon that actually and, works yeah i see um and you can go as far as to like, you can choose whether to limit the dungeon, the monsters in a certain dungeon to, uh, the monsters that, that were in that dungeon and you're just scrambling uh, those, uh, within the dungeon. Or you can just say like, make it a free for all dungeon monsters from all over the game can uh, be just in this hundred dungeon. blue dark nuts in every room of dungeon one. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I played, you can, you can find an, I, an hour of this on YouTube of me playing it where I had checked almost every box for what to randomize. And that includes the wooden sword, which is, that's optional. You can keep the wooden sword in the start cave. But I was just like kind of deciding 
to be stubborn about this and I just like I'm just gonna fucking check every cave till I find a candle okay now I'm gonna burn every bush till I find that goddamn sword <laughs> and I ended up finding like a, I think I found a couple of heart containers before I even found the sword like hmm. sometimes you go into a dungeon and like a heart container drops in the second room or like there's a Stalfos walking around instead of he, instead of holding the key in dungeon one maybe he's holding the Triforce <laughs> <laughs> which is a thing that happened. Um, it's very weird, and I I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, like, just this bizarre recontextualization of all this stuff. Um, it feels like you've been deep diving into Zelda lately. I like Zelda. I, this is something that I only realized, like, in the past couple of years, is that Zelda 1 is my favorite Zelda game. Hmm. Um. I still think I'm a link to the past guy. Sure, and that's cool. A lot of people... Well, and that puts you in a good position to enjoy all the Zeldas after Link to the Past, because they were all modeled on it. Yeah. Uh, being a Zelda 1 fan puts you in a position to enjoy jack shit, because... Metroid, maybe? Yeah, oh yeah, I love Metroid. Okay. Zelda 1 definitely, like... Like, everything that... I was a kid when Zelda 1 came out. I mean, I was like a teenager when A Link to the Past came out, right? So I had already, like... I had played a lot of video games. Sure. By that time, it was like a link to the past was not the revelation compared to Atari that Zelda One was. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. most games, I think that that are that consider themselves Zelda inspired are games that followed up on the later Zelda games. Um, and I think I don't know. I, I feel like. Maybe Dark Souls is the the closest thing we have to a follow up to that first game. Huh. Wow, Dark Souls is the first is the it's nearest to Zelda one. It's so systemy in a way that Zelda one isn't though. It, there's more like there's more like RPG in there. Yeah, like, Zelda, you, Zelda you can is have an character game, classes right with. With well, actiony combat, but it has it has the um, the world that you can move freely through. Except, like what's blocking you is your inability to fight it fight well enough. You know, oh. um, it has the same like loneliness and like merchants who talk to you like one line. Like all I have to say is this one line, and then you need to go on your way. Um, it, it has a lot of the same mood, I think. One thing that's hugely different is the combat system. Like, I, I feel like okay. Zelda is a game... Zelda 1 is a game about, like, this cloud of chaos of monsters and you, like, run in and get one hit in whenever there's an opportunity, whereas Dark Souls is a lot more about duels. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed in playing the Zelda classic quest that was recommended was that hard Zelda 1 fights just require a lot of like floating like a butterfly yeah <laughs> waiting for an opportunity to like go hit something yeah and i don't i'm not in convinced, a low risk situation i'm not convinced that that's a good combat system yeah i mean it also the advantage of being at full life is oh yeah so fucking overwhelming yeah, and I, I, I think that's something that sucks about it, too. Like, But this is something about Dark Souls as well, where, like, 
if you are doing well, the game really gives you a lot of advantages. Are they advantages that you don't understand if you don't know how the, like, humanity system works? Often, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, like, if you're uh, doing a replay of the game and you're, and you're doing well, you'll just, like, cut through that game like butter because you just have all these... You have all these systemic advantages that now you know how to take advantage of that, like, maybe you get those every once in a while on your first playthrough, but you uh, don't know what to do with them, and so you lose them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I played um, Rise of the Tomb Raider. I think that's what it's called. Is that the new Tomb oh, Raider yeah. game? Yeah. Um, that looks really good in all the the sort of gameplay footage I've seen. Yeah, it, it's a... If you are, like... If you're into, like, climbing on, you know, mountains and ancient castles and then yeah. shooting some dudes in the head. Mm, not as much. Yeah, well, you'll like part of this game. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I played Uncharted and enjoyed it yeah, and was just how like... How is it different from Uncharted or not? It's it's very similar. Um, it's very similar to Uncharted. Like, the new Tomb Raider... The, the last two Tomb Raiders have been very, like... Very modeled after Uncharted in the ways that previous Tomb Raiders weren't in the combat system. Um... I don't know. I I just lost my train of thought completely. I don't know what I'm thinking. Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider. Combat. Rise of the Tomb Raider. Combat. Rise of the Tomb Raider. Climbing climbing mountains. Climbing mountains. Solving puzzles. Um, The combat in this game is all right. Like, it's at its best, for me personally, when... um, before the combat has started and you're like hiding in the bushes and picking off individual enemies uh that isn't always feasible like i think the stealth stuff is pretty strong um but pretty quickly it usually degenerates into like okay now you just take a bunch of shots and heal and you shoot guys yeah um the the cutscenes do they work really hard to sell you on a version of Lara Croft that like doesn't like killing people. Is she? This is like pre first Tomb Raider. Is that the idea? It's a prequel. Uh, so yeah, it is. Um, the the previous Tomb Raider game was supposed to be like an origin story. Okay. Where you um you you see Lara Croft become like go, get get into a shitty situation and become the hero and it had a bunch of problems with that it had a lot of the same problems actually where um in uh in the cutscenes you are you know reluctant to fire a gun and then you just and unload a, a in like bullets. in the in the during gameplay like it's this is the kind of game where you chain headshots to get extra xp oh come on <laughs> You know, uh, and it's just like they're, they're trying so hard to convince you to the no, you hate killing. You're only doing it because you have to. And then like, it's really seemed like there were two competing like sides of the development that like, that were one, one, one side was trying to tell a story about a girl who is lost in the mountains and trying to survive. And then the other side is trying to tell a story about kicking ass and taking names. That's And spelled about uncharted as well yeah and uncharted like it 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 sold it a little bit better because it had already established nathan drake as 
as uh, uh, someone who had, who had some experience killing yeah, people, I he's think. Not, he's not a pacifist. It's more that they just don't mention the millions of people he's killing. <laughs> right, right. Um, and it's... One thing that they did do better in uh, in this game that was a big problem in the last game is that there isn't any, like, rape porn in it. Um, okay. So, so that's, far. That's not... Well, I finished it. Oh, you did? Yeah. So, yeah, no... Uh, no, like, implied threats of rape and very little of the, like, let's just really fuck her up, like, have her fall on some rebar, you know, that Jeez. was in the that was in the previous Tomb Raider game. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, but, like, with all the same caveats that these games always have, where, like, they're trying really hard to tell like an affecting realistic story and then undercutting it completely yeah. in the uh, in the gameplay it would be really nice to see one of those that was just the the adventuring and the climbing and pathfinding and exploring without the shooting but i, I, I would love like, to see that yeah, the the triple a companies that would end up making such a thing would never allow such a thing to be made yeah and i, I wonder like if there would be I, would, I wonder if there would be a market for it. Like, I wonder, like, if it, it, this is just too expensive a game to yeah. try to sell to people who aren't interested in shooting. I mean, if it was a game that came out on PC and had effective mod tools, you could just make that game out of this engine, right? I mean, we kind of wanted there to be a version of Bioshock Infinite that just didn't have a lot of shooting guys. In yeah, it. and I wonder... But then that basically just becomes kind of a short adventure game. Right. Yeah, which I'm fine with, frankly. Like, yeah, but um, and I, I wonder to make that at that level of polish. Yeah, just removing the enemies from this game, it would be a little bit incoherent in terms of the storytelling. Um, but I think it would, like, for me, it would. I think it would have been a better experience. My favorite parts of the game were definitely like the actual tomb raiding, which almost like not even almost. They definitely felt like this is a concession to the title of the game mm -hmm. where like these are all like completely optional um side quests where you can you can find um it's they're not always tombs but you find like a cave or a little like ancient village and you solve a couple of puzzles in there and you get a cool ability as a result um and and those like the ability to do it to do a handstand while you're pulling yourself up on a ledge. <laughs> <laughs> There's none of that in this game. What? They do have the swan dive. Okay. That exists. Um, but I, I, I don't, I never once did a handstand while pulling myself up on a ledge, which was, well, it's, it's a little sad making, but also like, it's a, it's kind of a cartoon. Super move. unrealistic for yeah. humans. Well, to and, do. And, but frankly, like I really liked not, not the first six Tomb Raider games or whatever they were. The first one was good, I guess. But I really liked uh, Crystal Dynamics' uh, previous reboot of the series, hmm. starting with Tomb Raider Legend, which was a... It was a very cartoony Lara Croft, but I think that works better than the realistic Lara Croft. I think it works better as a cohesive experience. Hmm. I mean, as opposed to just like thing that was intended to be an uncharted competitor right right yeah oh man now i want to see a cartoony nathan drake 
That would be pretty incredible. Uh, I think you'll find he's called Dirk the Daring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> do you guys want to talk about the assignment? Or Riff, do you have any video games? Uh, no, Other just than Fallout 4. 4. Nope. That's what I figured. And you already talked about that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about Mushroom 11. I stopped playing it as soon as it got hard, and I regret nothing. <laughs> same. But same, although I wonder, like, for me, hard was, like, chapter 5. It keeps getting harder. I don't think yeah. I got... I, like, I quit at the point where you're on a building and the building is falling over and you have to do something fast to get off the building before it falls in the lava, which I think is, like, probably the end of chapter one. I don't remember. Did you get to the puzzle where like you're, like... One, yeah. <laughs> are, oh, did you get to the puzzle where, like, you partially crawl into this gap in a pendulum and you swing to the other side of a lake in the gap and then you erase yourself... From the gap, and then you fall to the to the ground on the other side of the lake. I don't know because that was That's my favorite part of the game. I thought that was a really cool uh, puzzle. <sighs> they just keep they just keep piling on all the different physics systems. I there's I, like teeter totters and mine carts and yeah, I, I balls. I thought this game was on. cool, but like. I enjoyed figuring out what to do way more than I enjoyed actually executing on it. Yep. And losing progress on failure is just a thing that I don't have any tolerance for anymore at all. Like the, the number of times that you have to execute multiple difficult moves in sequence to, to avoid to resetting to the previous checkpoint. Like, yep. I just, it's very pretty. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yep. It reminded me a little bit, um, not entirely mechanically, but it sort of resembled the game Soul Bubbles on the DS. Oh, yeah. Uh, with with dragging the stylus to blow this bubble around and slashing it to make it lots of little bubbles so you could push it through narrow gaps and inflating and deflating it for different purposes. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool game. Yeah, that was that really was, good. That was a cool game that, like, felt like it was designed for the casual audience but never found it hmm. like the only people I ever heard about playing it were people for whom it was just super easy and kind of unsatisfying as a result of that yeah yeah I definitely didn't find it hard <laughs> I wonder like if I wonder if there's like a soul bubbles equivalent for phones I feel like that you could sell that to yeah. the, uh, the I was, casual market. I would be way more interested in Mushroom 11 if it was on tablet. It seems really well suited to that. Sure, yeah. I think it would work pretty well. I assume well. that it will come out on a tablet. Like, it's got the control scheme viability. Yeah, I think so. I actually really liked the fact that it was just a mouse. Like, the, that was the only control. I really like the interface. Yeah. I thought it was... Uh, I mean, I really like the conceit. I think it's... Uh, it it's was a, super charming to begin with, uh-huh. and then it just just made me more and more angry. <laughs> well, yeah. It, I, I mean, it's like a I don't video know. game from 10 years ago, right? It, with the aesthetic sensibilities of now, but the gameplay and pacing and structure of a game from 10 years ago, which is just unforgiving. Like, I don't know if you bothered trying to collect all the, the DNA sequences on every level. I started out doing so, but... Very quickly it, it stopped. Just, yeah, it just gets infuriating. Like, there are sequences where you have one shot to collect it before you are effectively automatically can, like hit the next checkpoint. Oh, that's and if too you bad. Don't 
get it that time you just have to start the whole fucking level over yeah. and that pissed me off so much like if they had just added a like go to previous checkpoint that would have made me feel so much better about some of the shit that they pulled um yeah like i started off really really liking it and then just got progressively more angry playing it um and at the same time like i felt like it was still a good game overall like i just feel like they could have made it friendlier like they already have the they have like super hard achievements for like not dying on a level right right? which good i have no idea like i died hundreds of times on the did you play world of goo yeah how did you feel about that structurally like i like that quite a bit yeah like i world of goo i think it it had if i remember right this kind of open structure where every individual puzzle was like a node on the map am i right i believe that's true yeah i think there were and you could you could skip them if you Did didn't you? want to do them, I don't remember. I remember there were like. I remember you, could, you often had choices of which two you had, of which two you were going to do. Like there were branching yeah. paths, but I feel like you still had to finish something before the next node opened. Yeah, I, this game reminded me a lot of World of Goo, in, in that they're both like physics abuse games, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know. I feel like you don't ever quite know if it's badly designed or if you're executing it badly. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good analogy. Yeah. Um. And I wonder, like, I I feel like a World of Goose type structure where, like, each level there instead of there being eight levels or however many there are, instead there were were eighty levels and they were broken up into just a couple of screens each. I think that mm. might have been a. Uh, felt similar it might have it might have been a little bit less frustrating but i do feel like one of the things that i like out of platformers is the feeling of like inhabiting a space Mm -hmm. Uh, and one of the things i liked about this game is is inhabiting a space as that fungus i thought that was super interesting um i just didn't really enjoy like i I guess like that you just to make a video game you have to have an increasingly difficult series of challenges right there's no other way to make a game so that's what they had to do yeah like in dear esther right (laughs) (sighs) they could have it's possible they could have just explored the variety without making them harder yeah because there were still there were just novel things on every level but they they, at the same time, they made them just more and more challenging. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's actually a really good point. I I think there are a number of like I talked to the developer of of um, this at I think it was at a PAX. Um, I played the puzzle that I described early, like early on in this discussion of like the pendulum with you yeah. entering the pendulum, and I really liked that. I still really like that, and that was like what ended the demo. Uh. In, in uh at PAX or whatever it was um and I, I yeah I was talking to the developer about that and he was like yeah that's uh that's that's one of the ideas that I wanted to get across to the player you know that was one of the things that like that convinced him that this is uh you could actually make this into a good game um and I feel like in many respects like this sort of weird set of mechanics is that is is the a delivery system for those experiences for those 
little chunks of experiential information and they didn't have to make it hard to convey those chunks. The, the, the like sort of side quest collectibles were at, were at odds with just completing the levels so many times where you would either have to voluntarily like in the middle of this complicated sequence, like dodge out to the right and grab something and then fall to your death. And then I I feel like, I dodged a bullet in in not really attaching myself to wanting to get those. Yeah, because it sounds like that. That's well, just, yeah, just it's just going to make you an unhappy person, <laughs> right? I feel like like my my take on those was that okay, this is for when I'm replaying it, and I did like go slightly out of my way to grab some, but uh, I didn't. I never worked really hard at it. The. Uh, there were a couple of like really sort of f- fine detail things that I found really frustrating that I, I feel like should have come out of the beta testing period. And I'm really surprised that, that like they weren't somehow addressed. Like a lot of levels you are having to do very fine adjustments of like making something that's like one or two sort oh, of yeah. grid yep. squares wide. Um, and the automatic, the fact that you have no control over the camera and the camera will sometimes just move dramatically from one place to another, taking your cursor with it, potentially just slicing through whatever you are oh, near. Oh, that never happened to me. That's it interesting. To me all the time. And I think it was because I was trying to get to these out of the reach places where like when it, oh, it's, oh, the game is like, oh, I'm realizing now that he's trying to get to this other place. So I'm going to shift the camera so that you can see it better. Yeah. And then all of a sudden just cuts through the thing that I've spent 10 minutes building. Did you whatever. see the, um, this guy wrote a, uh, very elaborate, voluminous Google doc. And I think it eventually got published on, um, 2d camera control. Really? Yeah. The, the developer of, of this game, like it's full of like, Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I didn't realize it was this guy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really good. Huh. It's a really like exhaustive study of what 2D games have done. And I think it eventually like the here's the set of choices that I made for Mushroom 11. It sounds like what you needed is just a button like there were so many like, Were like, you so when you when you were erasing? Yeah. Would you hold the mouse button and scrub or would you like be clicking and releasing and clicking and releasing? Uh hold and scrub most of the time. And would it move the camera while you were yes. That seems like that's an error. That, that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like cuz if you were like clicking and releasing then like maybe that's like something he didn't test for right. and he would move the camera while you were released. No, but because like be, the camera is triggered off of a volume of the fungus being in a particular space yeah, and yeah. Or whatever. And it will just shift the camera over because there are times when you want the behavior, like a lot of the time you want the behavior that the game exhibits because like, you want to move real quick through a tight passage. You just hold the button yep. and it just, it stays where it is. And the camera is panning. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Right. And so like that, that is great. And when you're trying to do that and it, but it should, I feel like it should differentiate between that and the locations where you're trying to do all of these, like, really finicky really precise yeah. little things I'm, I'm not convinced that the 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 gameplay sequences where like you are like slowly erasing parts of yourself and you have to keep erasing the same parts because yes the randomness just, of the like where it builds stuff right is just, you're, if you're trying well, you're trying to make uh, yourself as long and thin as possible that does not it takes so long and if you make uh, one mistake you have to start over yeah and it's not that's not good gameplay and no. it's not a good interface for that sort of motion um, 
It, it made me like want to like maybe I could like draw a mask or something. Yeah, where, like, I, like I want to lock. I want to lock cells or yeah. I can or like just encourage or just to, not have that puzzle in the game. Yeah, that would have been a good good way to handle it too. But you have to do that so many times. Yeah, it's it's very common. Um, and the 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 fact that the the fungus is grid based and that has such a dramatic impact on like trying to to like maneuver into very tight spaces or um did you th- did you ever have to like i rotated myself a lot to yeah to build that's something that i never thought about and now that i think about it that that might have helped yeah if i had like the 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 orientation of the grid when you start to like yep. enter a certain space might actually has a huge impact in a lot of cases like i like there was one time when i was trying to get up a shaft and because i just happened to be lined up with the sides of the shaft i just it just kept sliding down like i didn't get any purchase at all <laughs> that's really funny um i bet that happened to me all the time and i didn't know why right. i just kept trying different things until it worked yeah you know and like you have to like you have to have some method for the the fungus to like be a, a, you know addressable and grow and and change and stuff like that so and a grid makes a bunch of sense but you could make it noisy you could make it noisy you could you could make it sort of snap to the alignment of what it lands on when you start yeah. building stuff i like i i'm not entirely sure how i would i would go about it but i'm surprised that it 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 sort of ended up where it was so yeah now i want to go back in time and like have uh, this conversation with the developer 5 years ago right well and so like in the camera following the the body mass thing that bit me in the ass a bunch of times too, because I would be trying to work on something like up at the top of the screen and like cut off a section, not realizing that the, you know the the narrative flow of the game is down, right? So that little section then oh, be- yeah. takes focus and just kills the 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 structure I've been working on as it pulls the camera down because yep. like, it, it like the game detects oh he's trying he's now he's trying to go to the you know to, to the next checkpoint or whatever. Right. I'm like no, I was trying to build this elaborate <laughs> thing up at the top of the screen. Right. Yeah. Ugh. That that was super frustrating too. So you like you start to learn that you can't allow anything to leave the screen, and you never you never know if the top of the screen is really the, is like a hard barrier where you're gonna like fizzle out, or if you you're meant to try to climb up. Like there just could have been cues to help you with all of these things, and yeah. <sighs> yep. That said, it's you know fundamentally it is a good game, and if you don't try to go into it with the like completionist mindset. I think you will have a good time. Well, you'll have a good time until it gets too hard for you, wherever right. that happens to be. Yeah. Um, Midway through the tutorial. <laughs> <laughs> right. Patience. Patience is definitely rewarded. And Zach, trying, did, did you have a good time up until it got too hard? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah. And maybe that's what the game is. Maybe the game is just a like play maybe this until it, it stops being fun. Maybe it never ends. Maybe it just keeps getting harder. That's true. What's our next assignment, fellas? Riff has a suggestion. Our next assignment is Strawberry Cubes by Lauren oh, yeah. Schmidt. And uh, that is on itch.io. I remember seeing stuff about this. It seems like a real glitchy Yeah, it seems like a platformer. glitch fest. Yeah, Lauren has been posting really screenshots of it, it during development. It looks looks really cool i believe we are taking a week off from recording for thanksgiving yeah i'm not going to be able to record on wednesday is that next week yes okay i should know these things i've got (laughs) i've got family doing things on thanksgiving so spend the extra time 
that you would spend listening to this podcast on Thursday being extra thankful for your loved ones. <laughs> Say playing Fallout 4. And their turkeys. <laughs> and playing Fallout 4. <laughs> Guys, I've had a really good time recording this episode of Video Games Hot Dog with you, and I hope that we'll do it again real soon. And listeners, I hope you'll join us. And until you do, keep your soul behind the espresso machine and keep setting fire to the pepper mill. Good night. I still think my joke about charisma in real life was pretty funny. <laughs> Have a great couple of weeks, everybody. Good night. Wait, so you're saying that the Spanish word for cannon is burrito gun? No. <laughs> I'm suggesting instead of calling it a burrito gun, we call it a burrito X, where X is the Spanish word for cannon or gun. I, or <clears throat> I was there with you, Riff. Okay. Oh. I understood. Okay.